In fact, at the time of the Reformation, the great Martin Luther, who himself was an Augustinian monk, was constantly calling the church back to the words and teachings of Augustine. And besides being an important leader in the affairs of his own day, and one of the fathers of communal monasticism, Augustine wrote important treatises on things like the Trinity, salvation by grace, and the sacraments. So just little things like that. As well as penning the first ever autobiography in the history of all literature, which is Augustine's famous Confessions. And if you've never read Confessions by St. Augustine, I urge you to bump it to the top of your list. All right? Put some old books in your list, number one. And I, I definitely recommend reading St. Augustine's Confessions. There's nothing quite like it before or since. So as I said tonight, I'm going to fast forward a bit from 386 AD, but actually only by, by a few decades, and give us a little taste of St. Augustine's preaching. But before we get into it, let me offer a bit of a primer, all right? There are two things I want to highlight in Augustine, two sort of, sort of subterranean currents that run underneath all of Augustine's preaching. And the first thing, the thing that immediately struck me as I read this sermon last week, is that Augustine preached with great imagination. Now that might not be a word that you commonly associate with good preaching, but when I say that Augustine had imagination, I mean it in the best possible sense. And this is really true of most of the early church fathers. They would take one verse or like one idea from Scripture. So like John chapter 1 verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And then they would sort of think about that truth from a thousand different angles. Angles that we might never consider, and each thought seemed more insight, insightful and beautiful than the next. In fact, I don't doubt that after his conversion, St. Augustine laid up in bed at night just thinking and wondering about the Incarnation, turning over questions in his mind like, how was it that the Word was made flesh? How could it be that the infinite became finite and yet how somehow like continued to be infinite? And, and how did that whole like born of a virgin thing even work out, like physically and spiritually? To the early church fathers, these truths were like a diamond with many facets. Or they were like a prism that shoots rainbow light in a thousand different directions, depending on how you bend it. So that's the first feature of Augustine's preaching that I want us to notice, his imagination. The second thing to pay attention to is his faith. The reason why his imagination was so fruitful is because he really believed this stuff. He really believed that Jesus is who he said he is. I remember when I was a little kid, I spent a lot of time thinking about dinosaurs. Am I alone in this? Anybody else? Man, I thought about them all the time. I made doodles of them in the margins of my schoolwork. I sat up at night wondering, how did they become extinct? You know, thinking about the different theories. I definitely thought about what it would be like if I had one as a pet. Shout out to the great children's book, Danny and the Dinosaur. I mean, they sort of had this grip. Dinosaurs had this grip on my mind and imagination. And it didn't take effort or like discipline to maintain my interest. It was just pure curiosity. We got some dinosaurs here tonight. <laughs> but here's the 
here's the thing. I never once questioned that dinosaurs existed. To me, the fact that they did at one time roam the same earth that I live on was probably like the coolest thing about them. I was more into dinosaurs, for example, than I was into dragons. So my imagination was kindled by, by, by my belief in the truth. And it's the same with Augustine. The reason why his imagination just sort of runs wild with these thoughts of Christmas, of God becoming man, and of a virgin giving birth by the power of the Holy Spirit is because to him it's not imaginary. Right? It's all true. It's historical fact. He believed he was living in the same world where the Son of God, not many years before, had roamed the earth in human form and even was nursed as a helpless baby by a human mother. Now, if that's not food for the imagination, I don't know what is. Believing that sort of thing affects one's view of the kind of universe that we live in, and even the kind of ground that we walk upon. We become supernaturalists, not meaning that we interpret like every coincidence as a miracle, but that we see God's sovereign purposes behind all human history, and we come to understand that nothing is impossible with God. Now, we all live about 1,600 years after St. Augustine first preached this sermon. But I think we have just as good of reasons as he did to believe that it's all true. This is history, not myth. Or better yet, myth become history. So again, as we turn to one of the greatest preachers in history, I point us to these two things, imagination and faith. Let me pray before I read the words of St. Augustine this evening. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, activate our imagination. Lord, would your truth shine through the prism of your Son and scatter beams of light on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is short. It's called For the Feast of the Nativity by St. Augustine. Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the true Son of Justice, so shone upon the earth as to not leave the heavens, remaining there eternally, but coming here for a time. There, living perpetually without the passage of time. Here, dying in time, without the inroads of sin. There, remaining in life without end. Here, freeing our life from the destruction of death. There, he enkindles the mind of the angels with the fiery splendor of his majesty. Here, he determines the lives and characters of men. There, God is with God. Here, he is God and man. There, he is light of light. Here, the light which enlightens every man. There, by the word, he spreads out the heavens. Here, he shows a way of reaching the heavens. There, with his father, he confirmed the mystery of his nativity. Here, with his mother, he formed his human members. There, sitting at the right hand of the father. Here, lying in a manger. There, feeding the angels. Here, a hungry child. There, 
unfailing bread with perfect powers here along with the speechless children needing the nourishment of milk. There doing good, here suffering evil, there never dying, here rising after death and bestowing eternal life to mortals. God became man so that we might partake in God. The Lord took the form of a servant so that man might be turned to God. The founder and inhabitant of heaven dwelt upon earth so that man might rise from earth to heaven. The word of the Father, by whom all time was created, was made flesh and was born in time for us. He who, without his divine permission, no day completes its course, wished to have one day set aside for his human birth. In the bosom of his father he existed before the cycles of all ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered upon the course of the years of this day. The maker of man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished by a mother's milk. That he, the bread, might be hungry. That he, the fountain, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be wearied by the journey. That he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses. That he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. That he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust. That he, Discipline might be scourged by whips, that he, the grape, might be crowned with thorns, that he, the foundation, might be suspended on a cross, that the courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us, to free us, unworthy creatures. He who existed as the Son of God before all ages, without a beginning, deigned to become the Son of Man in these recent years. He did this although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done himself no evil, and although we, who were the recipients of such good at his hands, had done nothing to merit these benefits. Begotten by the Father, he was not made by the Father. He was made man in the mother whom he himself had made. So that he might exist here for a while sprung from her who never and nowhere could have existed except without his power. Thus the prediction of the psalmist was fulfilled. The truth is sprung out of the earth. Mary, a virgin before conception, remained a virgin even through her childbirth. Far be it that in this earth that is in the flesh of which the truth has sprung, integrity should be marred. Indeed, after his resurrection, when he was thought to be merely a spirit and not actually a body, he said, Feel me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Nevertheless, the substance of his mature body passed through closed doors to his disciples. Why then could he who as a grown man was able to enter through closed portals not pass through incorrupt members as an infant? Neither the one nor the other of these marvels do unbelievers wish to give their assent. Therefore, faith believes both. 
Because infidelity believes neither. In truth, this is the type of belief, the type of unbelief, which sees no divinity in Christ. Furthermore, if faith believes that God was born in the flesh, does it not doubt that these two lesser miracles are possible? Namely, that through the doors of the house, though that they were closed, he manifested his mature body to those who were within the house? And that as an infant, he came forth a spouse from his bride chamber, that is, from the virginal womb, leaving his mother's integrity inviolate. The only begotten Son of God deigned to take upon himself a human nature drawn from a virgin so that he might thus link a spotless church to himself, its spotless founder. The Lord was indeed born of a woman, and he was conceived in her without man's cooperation. Finally, I address all to the present. I speak to all. I include in my exhortations the whole church, that chaste bride whom the apostle said was espoused to Christ. I exhort you, do, in the inner chambers of your soul, what you with amazement view in the flesh of Mary. He who believes in his heart unto righteousness conceives Christ. He who with his mouth makes the profession of faith unto salvation, brings forth Christ. Thus in your souls this Christmas, let fertility abound and innocence be preserved through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.